0: Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so that you can create better products for your customers. Tammy Reese is with us. She is an experienced product executive who works with tech product leaders and teams to realize their potential by focusing on their strengths to advance toward their goals. She guides product leaders through defining their personal product vision and then taking them through the right steps to make that a reality. And right now, Tammy's focusing on coaching product leaders, speaking around the world about management and strategy topics, and very interestingly to be writing a children's book called What Do Product Managers Do? This is a, a book I needed when my kids were younger. We're going to be focusing primarily on how product leaders increase team performance, one of the key areas that Tammy talks about, and I'm interested to in no know more Diesel, tells about that as well. Do remember if you've listened before, we take written notes for you. We present a detailed summary of everything we discuss in a written format, as well as a one-page takeaway. This is a simple guide that you can share with your colleagues and even use it as a discussion guide to help you put into action the key takeaways that Tammy's gonna be sharing with us today. And this podcast is also made possible by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. That's the RPM Experience. This is the system for product VPs and leaders to get their product managers and everyone else contributing to product to increase performance, working in alignment to reach your North Star objectives. It works best for new teams or established teams that are facing a big challenge together. We go through in nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, working in seven knowledge areas that teams need to be aware of. And in the process of this experience, people build trust and collaboration along the way. If you think that might be something that helps you, go to productmasterynow.com RPM to find out more. Tammy, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. We are going to focus on this team performance thing, but no doubt some other things will come up. But I'm first always interested what kinds of challenges, issues, problems that organizations are facing. And as you have been engaging product leaders, what kinds of things have been coming up lately for you?
1: Unfortunately, a lot of it is layoffs and how to navigate layoffs and how to choose who, what, when, how do you do more with less once a layoff has happened? I'm actually friends with a VP of product over at Microsoft who had to go through a layoff recently. And he just said, I have to anticipate this is going to be the worst day of any of these people's lives like that yeah. that like extreme empathy and I, I thought that was a good place to start because i also meet with other people who have had that not be the experience mm. they got a layoff via an email and i'm helping them negotiate helping them navigate how to find a new role etc how to market themselves properly in a very tough job market but what I will say is that beyond that, there's definitely been a movement towards profitability as a key metric. And so, as I talk with a lot of CPOs or aspiring CPOs, one of the biggest gaps between a general product manager or a leader and a product executive is somebody who understands the financial terminology and knows how to connect the product metrics to the business metrics and the product growth to the business growth. And so helping the people I work with get more familiar with terms like IBITDA and gross margins, <laughs> Because all of a sudden, people no longer only care about growth, which is a good thing. I think in general, that tech is evolving towards a place of business profitability is something I appreciate. As somebody who agrees, profitability should be always in your back of your mind, if not in the forefront of your mind. But... From a product leader perspective, it's really the first time that even lower down on the ranks, more people are having to think about the financial implications of their decisions, the ROI of their decisions. And so I've been helping a lot of people learn how to transform the way they talk about adoption rates, et cetera, the kind of metrics that we as product people focus on into close rates, win rates, (laughs) for deals, and time to value, and time to close, and all of the other things that are related to the higher order growth of the business that are sales metrics and otherwise. Because as I said to a CPO yesterday, product doesn't serve sales. Product serves the business growing. Sales then sells the product we've created. And if we're doing a good job, we create product, that makes the sales process easier because it is differentiated. We have a clear concept of the problem we're solving and who we're solving it for, the segments and what they mean. We have tiered different product packages that are geared towards different groups of segments so that the sales team, and we're doing a good job enabling the sales team to know what those things are so that their lives are easier. And that should in fact be reflected in RIN rate, in prospecting, in everything that is involved in the actual growth of the business that way, lowering CAC, et cetera and but not thinking of product as a way of serving sales but product as a way of serving business growth as fueled by sales
0: <laughs> it's the proper way that it should be in organizations unfortunately yeah. many organizations i'm sure you see too that it's not that way right that yeah Sales is often set up as the leader and product manager, as the errand runner to respond to sales. Yes. But that's not the correct model. I'm curious on, there's two things you said that I thought were so important. You use the word translate to talk about that product people need to just change their language a little bit. And thinking about how it's related to those business objectives and win rates and closing and the like. And that's not like we're changing our shift or direction. We're just translating the language. Because I know I've been... Very guilty in my career of putting the focus on in my language and my perspective, frankly, too. If we do the right thing for the customer, the revenue will follow. And yes. That's all good. But from a business perspective, we need to talk about that differently and what the how doing the right thing is going to actually help the business as well.
1: Yeah. And as we talk about like team empowerment, one of the things I think product leaders can be doing is teaching younger, newer product people about this connection. and I think that's really crucial and how you inspire greatness out of your teams is you peel back the curtain a little bit about what's going on with the larger business. What are the objectives about the larger business and how does their individual OKR metric whatever they're trying to work on to tweak and improve a conversion rate, adoption rate, new feature, blah, 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 blah. how does that actually get connected all the way up the chain to something bigger?
0: Really good. And real briefly, don't want to go down the lay- layoff path too much at all. But I'm just, <laughs> it's not a fun path. No, I'm curious over over the course of your career, you've certainly been in lay- layoffs. When I've had to be responsible for that, I just did what HR told me, right? It's okay. We're having to lay people off, HR has a plan that you do this sort of thing. I felt in the two times that I had to be involved in that, that the HR plan wasn't very human and I did not like what I was told to do. And I don't, are you seeing any more humanness at this point or not? Because like you said, it's not only the worst day for the people I had to lay off. It's a terrible day for me because these are relationships you've built and we wanted to do all the right things together and it's just, it's terrible for everyone.
1: I have been helping my leaders make it more human yeah. in within the confines of what HR allows, right? So whenever you're doing a layoff or a firing, it's important to communicate to the person that this is not a reversible decision, right? That, that we're not gonna hire this person as a contractor part-time. This is where the journey ends and, it's, and we're sorry and it sucks, but this is the end point of this line. But at the same point, that doesn't mean it has to be the end point For you and the other person in their relationship. So you as a human can reach out to them as a human empathetically and say, I know this is going to be hard. I, as your manager, know you just signed a contract on a new home or whatever it is, or your kids are about to go to college, right? You can express that empathy and say, I know this is going to be more tough for you on that basis. I'm happy to be a reference for you. Right? You yeah. can use my network and I will do what is in my power to help you get a next role because I think you are fantastic. And legitimately, this is a layoff that isn't about performance. All right. If that's the case. And I think that's a lot of what you can add as a human because that's outside of the HR realm, right? You're not offering them a different kind of severance package. You're not offering them anything that isn't within their COBRA or otherwise. You're just saying, you and I have established a personal relationship. I've invested my time and my energy in you and your growth. I know where you have skills. And I would like to see you use those skills someplace else. I'm sorry they can't be used here anymore. Yeah. And I think that human, I'm not just shutting the door, the door is shut on this company, but we're not shutting the door on us, can be very helpful in the nature of just saying, I'm here for you, even if this formal employment relationship is done.
0: Yeah, And the reality is, six weeks later, me as the person having to do layoffs might be getting laid off. Absolutely. And I would want that same sort of relationship and the opportunity to say, Gosh, you have a network that could be valuable to me. Can I take advantage of that? And I would hope the person like me off would offer that as well. A,
1: right. And that's six weeks later. In reality, all of us are going to switch companies at some right, point. Right, right. Exactly. We're going to be at a new company and either somebody who we've laid off is going to be in a hiring decision or even just a hiring consultant. Like you might be applying for a to be their new boss. And if they were really burned by this experience, they're going to say, this person is totally lacking in empathy. You don't want that. You don't want that to be something you're known for. And it may also be that you and your new role are looking for people with that skill set and they're still on the market or it's five years online there. You want to steal them back and you want them to know that if you're bringing them into an organization, it's one where you are confident that they won't be laid off. But if they do, you will still have their back. And that is that ongoing relationship of just being human. I have a three and a half year old daughter and the most important thing we teach her is the golden rule. Since she's been two and a half, she can recite the golden rule, which is treat other people the way you want to be treated. And I don't think enough of that is happening in the business world right now. And so if we just all remembered that a little more often, we would, a lot of these answers would come clear, right? Right. Yeah. And it's not about the lawyers that send the 10-page document about NDAs and non disparagements afterwards. Yeah, if HR is making you do that. But on a personal level, you can say, this is the best package we can offer you. We really want to do as right by you as we can. I'm here as an individual to help you find something new please rely on me, ask me, I'm happy to review your resume, I'm happy to do interview prep, whatever it is, right, that shows you're saying, I'm still going to invest in you. This is a decision that is financial and not about something more.
0: Very good. And a good bridge to what I want to talk about team performance is that empathy issue. Certainly, empathy is important as we're leading teams as well. And you talk about setting objectives and creating empowerment when you talk about team performance. Can you take us through how product leaders can improve product team performance? What aspects do you think about for improving performance?
1: So one of the primary aspects I think about is connection. Hmm. So how do you help people feel connected to each other, connected to the larger mission and vision of the company, help them understand how what they're working on is connected, as I mentioned earlier. That nature of strategy deployment isn't a matter of saying on these levels, this is what we're going to do. It's a on these levels, this is what your objectives are. These are what your goals are. These are the needles you're trying to move. These are the experiences you're trying to improve because all together they help us get closer to this business objective, right? People need to see themselves not as a cog in a wheel, but a piece of the puzzle. And that without them, the puzzle is incomplete and that they own that piece and they own the ability to make it shine. But it is still a piece. Right. And therefore, they have to help out the other pieces. A lot of what I've seen recently is siloed product teams where, especially as we get more and more geographically diversified and disparate in our teams, that this team's working on that. And they've never even met in person, especially thanks to COVID. And the inter-team connection is also important. Right. So helping people understand that you're working on this API. And yes, this serves our customers in this way, but it's also going to be consumed internally in this other way. So let's make sure that you understand their objectives as well and that you're creating those connections. And that if someone is creating a new onboarding flow, it has to reflect the things that are actually going to be the features once they get in and that there needs to be connection there and otherwise. And beyond connection with the product team, a lot of product people talk about the importance of talking to customers. And I agree, it is incredibly important to talk to your customers. But it is also important to talk to prospects, the prospective customers who aren't yet, their needs are not yet being met by your product. Customers like what you've already done, and they're okay if you make it better. Prospects are saying, nope, you're not there yet. You haven't hit your nail on the head yet. And so it's also important to talk to them. And the only way to talk to them is generally through salespeople. So you have to have a stronger connection with your salespeople so that you can be in those conversations and better tease out where there are opportunities, again, for the business to grow as a product person within your realm. What can you do within your realm of influence that will later help grow the business? And in order to do that, you have to be not only talking to customers, but prospects, as well as the customer service people and the implementation people and everyone else. And so I encourage product leaders to encourage their individual product managers and directors of product to make sure they are establishing relationships with internal stakeholders that will assist them in getting a better pulse on the market and on the customers, et cetera. And unless you have a stronger connection to the people around you and you've built that empathy to the people around you, you can't actually build that much empathy for your customers or your market. Okay. So
0: connection. Connection. Times 12. (laughs) There's a lot in there for a connection to dive into. I'm taking a short break from the interview to tell you about my favorite annual conference for product managers and leaders. It is the PDMA Inspire Innovation Conference. PDMA, the Product Development and Management Association, has been researching, developing, and curating the product management body of knowledge and innovation body of knowledge for us since 1976. That's about 50 years of product knowledge and expertise that I bet you're unfamiliar with. I certainly am not familiar with all of it, and I love learning more. This is where people new to product work go to meet those with deep experience, and it's also where those of us with deeper experience go to network. This year, I'll be attending sessions, networking, and interviewing several of the speakers. Speakers are discussing topics on product innovation processes, customer insights, portfolio management, and much more. It's held September 16th to 19th in New Orleans, so just coming up in a few weeks. You can check it out now by going to pdma.org. And when you come to the conference, please introduce yourself as I love to meet listeners. I will be spending some of my time in what they call the Innovation Cafe. So when you come look for the Innovation Cafe, that's where I'll be interviewing speakers. And it's a great conference. Again, check out pdma.org to find out more. Hope to see you there. So I started my career as an electrical engineer and moved into the software realm. And I just thought engineering was the organization. We're the ones that created the stuff. We're the ones that, that really are the most important when it gets down to it in this organization. It was a very egocentric sort of perspective. And I didn't have a lot of respect for sales, frankly, because they didn't really do anything for me. And I just left ignored them for a long time. Then later figured out, oh, if you want to talk to customers, or as you point out, prospects, people that we might be able to serve, they're really useful <laughs> to build, to introduce you. Yep. And I recognized that building trust with salespeople was vital. And I noticed in one organization that the product people that had that trust, that they could do no wrong and they had access and they were very well respected. And the ones that did have that trust, That they got in some way sidelined at least ignored from a you can get to customer perspective yeah and i think recognizing what you said recognizing that product people is so important that we need to know those other internal functions in the organization that make the organization work we're kind of like an orchestra orchestrator right bringing in the resources that are needed for whatever the situation is if we don't have the relationships in place That's not going to happen. Do you have any tips on just that relationship part? Say I'm relatively new to an organization, just came in six weeks ago in a product role. My product leader seems to be, say my product manager, the product leader seems to be encouraging some of this. How do I just go about building those relationships?
1: I would formally say walk around and start meeting people. But when there's no longer water coolers, actually Reach out to whether it's the customer success manager or the implementation manager and say, hey, I'm looking to learn more about how my product gets implemented, different things that are going on with the support queue around my product. Is there somebody on your team that can become my conduit? I want to establish a good partnership, like using the word partnership is a really powerful word, right? I'm not looking to do research. I'm looking to create an ongoing partnership with somebody that will allow me to understand the impacts of my choices on your team and its efficiency and its ability to do its job. And then when you meet that person, get to know them because you're establishing a relationship. This is not a transactional moment where you're asking them for their current queue of tickets. This is an opportunity to say, hey, tell me about why you got into customer success. Tell me about why you chose this company. What inspires you to stay here? What's been great, et cetera, right? Help have them be somebody who you could, if there was a company picnic, you would sit down with them also, right? Or they can introduce you to their colleagues. Because in reality, you don't want to just have a relationship with one customer success or one implementation manager, you're probably going to need to have relationship with many because in order to access the customers of different kinds that you're going to want to talk with and do a B testing with or get beta feedback or whatever it is, you're going to need a variety. So you want them to be your hub within that space. And so you want to establish this partnership, which means establishing a sense of empathy for who they are, what drives them, how are they judged, what are their aspirations, and how can you be helping them with that? And so that's where it starts. And that's the same thing with a salesperson or a customer service person or an operations person, just treating them like a human, because by the way, they are, (laughs) and they have a personal life and they have hobbies. Right. And I'm not saying do a whole 360 on them, but make it more personal to begin with and then get into the work. And then in your next conversation, start out with the personal. Hey, how's your dog doing? How did your daughter's ballet recital go or whatever is going on? Right. Because that helps create a foundation of a relationship that isn't only about tit for tat. What are you doing for me? Did you solve this ticket?
0: That's really good. Certainly the empathy part carries over to that, making this personal and just it's someone you want to get to know. I would have as a product manager, the alternative reason that I'm getting to know them because we need to be working together in the future. For sure. I want to just get to know them, too. I would rather work with people yeah. I like than I otherwise.
1: Absolutely. And vice versa, right? Like you see this as somebody that you'll get information and in connection to customers with. They see you as somebody who's going to help them understand the roadmap better. Right. And the decisions of prioritization better. And possibly be able to advocate for their tickets, et cetera, to become features because you're teaching them how to do that. Not only with you and your product org, but the other product managers and other product teams. And that's a highly valuable skill for them. And they will see that and they will come to you and say, hey, Tammy, there's this problem. Can you help me navigate which engineer, which product manager, which designer I need to talk to. And that's when you'll know you've actually created that partnership when it's a reciprocal one where they come to you for help as well.
0: Really good. Some good tips in there. I liked how you framed it that we're not necessarily together, right? My tip always used to be every week you should be asking someone to lunch just to meet someone new and get to talk about what's your job like? What do you do? What do you like about that? And get to talk about yours a little bit. And just start building some rapport. And for many environments, that's more challenging now to ask someone to lunch because there's so much remote work going on. We can still express the empathy and interest and get to know people. When I'm working with teams, there's a tool I adopted a few years ago, which I hated the first time it was exposed to me. But it comes out of the Project Aristotle work at Google on what made their Mm -hmm. teams work well, the best teams. And it's just a simple check-in question. At the beginning of every meeting, not maybe every meeting, but if it's a team once a week sort of meeting, I just ask a question that's largely unrelated to work, right? And maybe a simple one is, hey, what was exciting about your weekend? What are you looking forward to? If you could pick up a new hobby, what would it be? And in the beginning when I was exposed to this at a team, I felt like it was a huge waste of time. Like we we have an hour together and we're spending our first 15 minutes talking about hobbies, give me a break. And I put up with it. But it's not. Practically the most important
1: 15 minutes you have.
0: And I found after just two or three interactions doing that, our conversations outside of those meetings became much more effective and valuable and enjoyable. And it's such a simple thing. And when I introduce it to teams, they're like, wow, we start talking differently than we used to. And this is-
1: Because you remember that other people are people. Isn't that great? I was an interim CPO for a company for six months around a year ago. And with the product team, I would ask a question in every one of our weekly meetings. And it would always be something random and unexpected, but it could be- because it was wintertime when I was doing this, I said, hey, what's your favorite winter memory? Or what was the coolest Christmas present you got as a kid? Or something like that, where it's it's personal, but it's not, oh, I'm revealing something that's overly vulnerable, but it's, oh, I really like sledding, or I really like right. skiing, or I love making snow angels, or I grew up in Miami, I didn't see snow till I was 18. These are all different things that you learn about people. And they help you just... People draw reference to them in other conversations, and it just shows much more connection, as we mentioned earlier.
0: Yep. So it relates well to connection. Some tips for building those internal relationships. I've heard you talk about empowerment. How do you think about empowerment, and how how does this relate to helping product teams be more effective?
1: Part of empowerment is not being overly prescriptive. So I mentioned earlier, when you're doing strategy deployment, you're not supposed to tell someone what to do. You're supposed to give them goals and guidelines. And those guides and guidelines help someone feel empowered within those guidelines to spread their wings and make choices. So that's part of it. But the other part of it, to me, is actually teaching someone how to advocate for their ideas, whether they're against a current company idea or within line, but Teaching a product person to be able to advocate for what they think is right is a really important skill and it's something that most people don't have. The knowledge of how to navigate the different interpersonal relationships, to have the empathy for the different people, to know how to spin what you're talking about with the different people so that they get on board with you. What we call influence without authority is the most crucial skill we have. And that is a matter of advocating for whatever your idea is in a way that is respectful and in a way that brings other people along. Someone recently asked me what the difference between leadership and management is. And I said, management is the day-to-day. It's the one-to-ones. It's making sure you sign off on people's PTO. It's the occasional PIP. Leadership is what are you doing that makes people follow you. Product management is always about leadership. And so the more you can teach people to be better leaders and actually be handholding with them the first time. So when I worked at Pivotal Labs, my manager, Graham Siner, taught me this concept of I do, we do, you do. There's a Japanese, sorry, there's a Chinese way of saying it, and it's I do, you watch. And, but the idea is that as a manager in the beginning, you have to invest the time in showing someone how you would do it. What is the standard at which they are going to be judged? What do you think is the most effective way to do it? Then we do. We do it together. You're doing a little bit of it. I'm doing a little bit of it. That allows for you to get more insight into why I've chosen certain things, not simply what I'm doing, but why I'm doing it. You could suggest alternatives and I can say why that would work or why it wouldn't work. Then you do it on your own and I watch, which means that I'm still in your corner. I'm still your safety net, but if you go through three rounds of something, which might take three quarters because it might be road mapping or something else, by the end of those sessions, this person feels a lot more confident because they have a concept of why certain things are done and why you might color code something one way or another way or why it was important to talk to your engineering manager earlier or how do you properly engage with your designer or with this particular sales stakeholder, et cetera. And by the end of it, they then become a functional leader, a right. functional person who knows how to influence without authority within their realm and within their sphere of influence. And that empowerment that they know they can actually move ideas forward without your signature, without your support, is the best empowerment you can give. Mm-hmm. Because you're literally teaching them to fish.
0: I love that. It's such a great picture of empowerment that you have prepared this person to do the thing that you started out in the beginning all on their own. The I do, we do, you do. In medical school environment, when you're learning a procedure, they talk about one, you watch one, you do one, you teach one. Right. Same exact sort of notion that you feel confident by the end that you can do this yourself.
1: And hopefully what happens at the end of that is that this product manager rather than coming to you for what should I do in this situation, comes to you as a manager, which is the best way someone comes to you and they say, I have this problem, here is my plan. I trust you as my mentor to tell me where my plan might need adjustments so that it can be more effective. That's what you really want in an employee. Someone who knows how to analyze the problem and is coming to you with a solid solution, but they also recognize you have more experience, you've seen more potholes out there, and you have the ability to advise them on how to be even more successful through small little tweaks. And if you've given them enough of that foundational knowledge, they should be able to do that. And they should see you as someone who they can get feedback from in a way that they know how to implement.
0: Excellent. So many good tips as we've gone through this. And hopefully people might even go back and listen to this again. And we'll have all the written details for everyone. Again, that's at the Product Master I think now. that's
1: so cool that you do that.
0: It's a great resource. And we started the One Page Action Guide because I had some people coming back to me and saying, we actually use your podcast as like our once a month lunch and learn. If I hear a topic as a leader, I hear a topic that's interesting in the group. I tell everyone, hey, listen to this one. And we're going to discuss it at our, at our next lunch and learn thing. And so we started creating the action guide just to make it easier for people to facilitate that discussion and some key takeaways. Listeners, you can find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 454. And also, as we all know, we love our innovation quotes around here. And I asked you to bring one for us and share what that means to you, how it hits you.
1: So the quote I chose, and we learned, Chad and I learned it's from Mary Kay Ash, like Mary Kay Cosmetics, is ideas are a dime a dozen, people who implement them are priceless. And so... This ties into what Chad mentioned earlier about how engineers have a bit of an egocentric view sometimes that without them, nothing could be built, that their implementation is the priceless part. To me, product people are the priceless part. Without us, salespeople are selling vaporware. <laughs> Customer success has nothing to support and everything's broken. But more than that, like we take visionary ideas from CEOs, from other people, and we transform them into a reality. We execute through collaboration, through blood, sweat, and tears, (laughs) through countless hours of communication and meetings and emails and updates so that everyone knows what's going on. And that ability to really bring people along on a ship towards an endpoint is a very special skill. Anybody can be taught to do something. Even coding, right? You can be taught to code something. You can be taught to sell something. But the art of getting the right people together with all of their different skill sets and coordinating that in a orchestrated way that develops something amazing that serves a need that is marketable, that is sellable, that is exciting, that is adoptable. That's a fantastic power that we have as product people. And so to me, we're pretty priceless.
0: (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree. I think product people are priceless and I have shifted my perspective from engineering certainly to product professionals and I can feel good about that. So thanks for sharing the quote and the reminder of people who implement ideas are indeed priceless. How can people find out about your work, your resources, and tell us a little bit about this children's book. That sounds like such such an interesting topic for a children's book. It's like product management. Let's tell children what product management about.
1: Anything you ever want to find out about me, you can either find on my LinkedIn or on TammyReese.com or ProductLeaderCoach.com. They both go to the same place, including the children's books. What I do right now primarily is I work one-on-one with product leaders or up-and-coming product leaders to do the things we've just talked about. Help their teams be more empowered, help their teams feel more connected, connect what they're doing to the higher business order, learn to talk that business language And I do that generally in a one-on-one basis, sometimes in groups. So for Executive Women in Product, I was just a group coaching facilitator, and I'm working with a few different companies in that way, like a book club. Where actually, believe it or not, I will most probably share this podcast because I do pre-readings of either talks or podcasts I've done before the 45 minutes to an hour we spend together. Fantastic. As this is your homework, watch this customer development talk I did with Bold Start Ventures, or in this case, my discussion about management and empowerment on this podcast before we have a conversation with more Q&A. So those are the things that I do. But the children's book came because I had kids. I have a three and a half year old daughter, as I mentioned, I also have a two year old son. I'm in the thick of it. And I realized that there wasn't very many Books out there to teach them about what we do, and I still have a dad who believes I'm a project manager. So the title (laughs) of the book is "What Do Product Managers Do: A Primer for Aspiring PMs of All Ages and Parents Who Still Aren't Sure It's a Real Job." Excellent. And if you go to my website, there's like a children's book link, and you can there's a link to it's an open sourced Google Doc right now as to the copy on it, so you can read it, you can comment on it. I appreciate comments. It rhymes. But I did actually send it recently to an editor who advised me to make it more of a story because kids love stories. It's more of an information like this is what an engineer does. So I'm going to try to transform it more into a story. But chances are in the next few months, I'm going to put up on YouTube it in its current state with a few illustrations that I've been working with an illustrator on. And then I will iterate on it as a book that you would actually read with your children at home. But it is fun. It is humorous. We draw references to things product managers know. Marty Kagan's inspired. We talk about whether or not you need an MBA. The whole thing. We get through all the topics.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. This could be a primer for people going into college about what do they want to be a product manager or not? And yeah, all, although my kids are older, are adults now that this could be a tool for them to actually understand what I do.
1: Seriously, PM aspiring PMs of all ages are just wanting people to understand because what we do is really unique. And at the same point, something a lot of people have the soft skills to do and they've, f- Think they need more hard skills to get into technology. But in fact, product management is a lot of soft skills and interpersonal skills and EQ. And if you are strong in those things, you have a very strong probability of being a great product person. Fantastic. And a great product manager, leader, et cetera.
0: Very good. Okay. I'll make sure links are in the show notes. Key site, productleadercoach.com. That's an easy one to remember, productleadercoach.com. If you are a leader looking for some coaching, I think from this conversation, you, we have a good sense already how many ways Tammy could help us improve interacting with our team and the organization and improving performance overall. So, Tammy, we really appreciate you being with us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And once again, you, if you want the written show notes in that one-page action guide, that's at productmasterynow.com slash 454. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you
1: for listening to Product Mastery Now where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.